Welcome to the Bentonville Beacon, where we bring you success stories from business leaders and owners about their triumphs and growth in the Bentonville and Northwest Arkansas community. You'll hear about how Bentonville has been the backdrop for incredible growth, not only for businesses and their employees, but in their personal lives as well. Tune in, subscribe, and enjoy hearing about Bentonville, where you get more of what you want and less of what you don't. Welcome back to the Bentonville Beacon Podcast, where we're sharing stories and advice from the leaders sparking the rise of Bentonville, one of the fastest growing and most dynamic cities in the United States, nestled in the Ozark Mountains of Northwest Arkansas in the heartland of America. Hey, I'm your host, James Bell, and it is my absolute pleasure today to introduce you to Natalie Shu. Natalie is one of three women that I deeply admire here in Northwest Arkansas for their tenacity and vision and just who they are as human beings. So Natalie Shu is one of the three co-founders of FemHealth Founders. The other two are April Roy and Elizabeth Pringer. We'll talk a little bit about them too in their absence. So FemHealth Founders is an organization that is looking to launch 50 women-led FemHealth companies by 2026. Is that right? That's right. You got it. Awesome. Well, Natalie, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you, James. Glad to be here. Yeah, let's get started. What should the Bentonville Beacon audience know about Natalie Shu? Well, you know, I, I'm a Memphian. I'm from Memphis, but now I'm in Northwest Arkansas, and I just love it here. It's one of my favorite places I've ever lived. Um, I've lived all over the world. And so we've settled here and this is home now. And I just, I love it here. So I'm an entrepreneur. I've worked in a lot of different roles and companies over the years, but I've found my home also in entrepreneurship. And I have recently launched a company called EmployWell. So I can tell you a little bit about that yeah. if, if you like. <laughs> Please do. In fact, share with us about EmployWell and talk about who do you serve? Yep. What's that big problem that you just had to solve and how do you do it? Well, I'm a very problem obsessed person. So I, I get really interested in solving big problems and I've uncovered a pretty big one. So EmployWell is a healthcare engagement platform to mm. recognize, reward and retain our healthcare talent. So we are working on a really big problem in the healthcare space right now, which is turnover and burnout of our healthcare workers. You may have noticed over mm -hmm. the pandemic, <laughs> there was a lot about just healthcare workers being burned out or nurses, you know, leaving the profession in droves. But, you know, that problem hasn't really tapered off. So the pandemic really just highlighted these issues of turnover and burnout in healthcare. And that, you know, spike has not really leveled off. And that's because it's basically the pandemic kind of is the straw that broke the camel's back, mm -hmm. um, but there's so much more going on and it, we've got to solve this problem. So yeah. I am doing my part with EmployWell to help solve this problem. It's a $20 billion a year problem in healthcare right now, just in the US. And so what we're doing, we have a product called Healthcare Heroes. It's a B2B, or I like to call it B2 clinic okay. um, software that is human powered, but tech enabled to help solve some of this attrition that's going on in healthcare. So we have a recognition program to 
basically increase peer-to-peer recognition. We incentivize engagement through rewards that are meaningful to Mm -hmm. employees. And then we really drive retention by building culture, cultures of transparency in healthcare settings. It's a bottom-up approach to the healthcare challenges we're seeing today. And I'm actually starting in the fertility space because the reason why, really the reason why I started Mm -hmm. this company is I'm very, very interested in improving the patient experience. And this will kind of set us up for the Fem Health Founders conversation. But I have a disease called endometriosis. Mm -hmm. I went through infertility because of that diagnosis. So one in 10 women have endometriosis. It's a very painful disease. It's common, but it's very under understood and there aren't any treatments really to help with it. And so ended up going through IVF, which was the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my entire life. And what I realized is that my patient experience was so negative. I wanted to change it. I wanted to change it for me, for the patient sitting next to me in the waiting room, for my friends and family who've been through this as well. And as I dug into it, what I realized is that you know, the poor patient experience and outcomes, the root cause of that, one of them is that we're not taking care of our healthcare workers. That's right. So if we can take better care of our healthcare workers and the nurses and the people delivering care for us, I think we'll see a huge improvement in patient experience and care. And then just to to round that off, 90% of nurses are women. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the patients going through fertility treatment are women, especially the invasive part of the treatment. And so we're seeing a lot bigger impacts on women, you know, in the healthcare space, just generally. And so, of course, I'm very passionate about improving um, just the general livelihood of women in their work and at home. Well, that's a fantastic cause. I mean, women are taking care of us in healthcare, largely in nursing. You know, we get into talking about, you know, more about Fem Health founders. You know, one of the things I've observed also uh, is that historically, men have been, I'm going to use air quotes for the folks who are uh, just (laughs) listening. I never use air quotes. Well, sometimes I do. Solving women's health problems. And on top of that, there's actually not that much data on women's health and we need a lot more. We can do so much better. Um, So I love what you are doing. Will you, before we jump into Thin Health Founders, so We talk about your two co-founders and what their companies are doing. Yeah, gladly. So I have two incredible co-founders with Fem Health Founders, and that is April Roy and Elizabeth Pringer. April Roy has a company called Fempack. She's doing incredible things in the menstrual equity and access space. So she has a product that you can, it's an emergency care, uh, menstrual care kit that you can Mm -hmm. use in emergency situations or anytime, keep it in your purse, et cetera. But April has a huge passion around really just, you know, period poverty, menstrual, you know, access, understanding the unique issues and things that we as women deal with in terms of menstruation and beyond. So that's her company. Elizabeth Pringer has a product called the Asicle, Mm -hmm. and it is a postpartum recovery product to help with um, things like vaginal tearing, anal fissures. All, as she says, quote, the lovely things that happen to us during childbirth. And so she's really, you know, it's kind of an interesting combination because I'm more in the fertility space. Right. You know, April starts with the, the menstrual space, which obviously impacts women for a long time over their lives. And then 
Elizabeth is in that postpartum recovery space. You are quite the combo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and incidentally, I, as you know, mentored Elizabeth when she was going through the Arkansas iFund and doing customer discovery about Asicle and these problems. So, yeah, yeah. we uh, are so grateful for your mentorship. And I know she is. Well, I'm, I'm glad to help out any way I can. You are doing the work. So, <laughs> um, so you and Elizabeth and April were all separately working on problems in women's health and uh, you founded Fem Health Founders. Yep. And I talked about your big, hairy, audacious goal a moment <laughs> ago. Uh, so will you talk about Fem Health Founders and, you know, what's the founding story, sort of the why and, and how you got started and what's your vision? What are you doing about it? Sure. So we love talking about this part because it's all about story, you know, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And for us, each of our stories are very different, but we have you know, this recurring theme throughout our journeys as entrepreneurs and as women that, you know, really brought us together. And not to mention that our community brought us together too. Mm -hmm. So the three of us met each other through connections, local connections of all male mentors that were like, hey, you know, I recognize that you might benefit from getting to know somebody in your space. So you know, Fem Health was is sort of this new thing in a sense, like when you think of the market of women's health innovation. Right. And here, you know, in Arkansas, it's it's just a small group of us. There aren't many of us working on these these types of solutions and products. So we got connected with each other and it was like immediate, you know, fireworks. <laughs> it's like, you you're working in this space. Oh my gosh. And then, you know, you have this issue and you've dealt with this problem and you understand what endometriosis is or what unexpected, you know, bleeding is or vaginal tearing is awesome. So we don't have to explain that that's a problem. And so when we got together, it was just, you know, I think as we started talking about the issues, it got more into some of the business barriers that we've dealt with as entrepreneurs and feeling like we were sort of having to explain that there is a market for this to people in our circles and you know, through accelerators we had been through and to no fault to the people running those accelerators, it just, you know, it was sort of like, we don't really know how to help and guide you. Yeah. And so Fem Health Founders was birthed out of this need for a more curated experience to the women's health market, to the women's health issues, and then also to this third piece of women founders trying to grow and scale companies and accessing very little of the capital that's out there in the market. Yeah, that's cool. So uh, you've received a lot of guidance and support around the ecosystem. Uh, You've established some real partnerships for funding, programming, your location, and so on. But I think what's super impressive is that y'all got off the the ground and running so quickly. And that's just a testament to you and and Elizabeth and and April's tenacity (laughs) and your determination to do something about it and also to the support ecosystem here, the entrepreneur support ecosystem and funders here in Northwest Arkansas, and even across to what I'll call our super region into Oklahoma as well. Will you talk about your funders and your partners and how, how are they supporting you and how has that experience been working with them so far? Yeah, absolutely. So we couldn't do this without our partners. Otherwise it'd just be an idea and we'd Mm -hmm. still be in that room together just complaining about all the issues. 
So I will start kind of from the beginning of, you know, actually you and Toby Teeter were first Mm. kind of supporters, like getting kind of the groundswell going of, hey, what could this peak become? And so I have to say thank you, first of all, to Bentonville Economic Development, Chamber of Commerce, and also to the UA Collaborative, because you guys gave us space. You gave us a platform to start having conversations, which is what we did. We started with an event and, Mm -hmm. you know, more of a roundtable. And then that morphed into what it is today, which is we're a nonprofit. And now we have an accelerator that we're running. And so we were able to deliver and become more of an organization um, and put more, you know, meat on the bones because of our partnership with a group called Stitch Crew out of Oklahoma City. Erica Lucas is the founder of that organization. And she is a powerhouse, you know, in the supporting women and minority founders in their journey to growing and scaling companies. And so we just, we saw an immediate alignment with that organization. And what was cool is we really liked their accelerator playbook that they've curated for founders. It's all about customizing the programming to the founders in each cohort. It's all about peer-to-peer mentorship. And so we really love their flexible model. So we, we partnered with them. Mm-hmm. And then together we got a Walton Family Foundation grant. So also another key core partner to FemHealth Founders and to Stitch Crew and the FemHealth Accelerator, which is our joint you know, project together, program together. And then lastly, we recently have a partnership with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Arkansas, which has been just a phenomenal addition to all of the work that we're doing here locally, but to bring in more healthcare experts into what we're doing and saying. And, and there've been some other, you know, uh, smaller partners along the way who've supported us across the ecosystem here. It's really incredible. I mean, what's happened has happened over what the course of a dozen months or so. Yes. <laughs> uh, that, that all this could come together. And it, I think it really says a lot about this ecosystem. And the density of support that's available and the folks that are available. But what I know is that if you get entrepreneurs in a room and just give them the time and space, they'll figure out yeah. what to do from there and what they need from you. That's and so and I love it that y'all, that, that you uh, and your team were able to do that. You've generated a lot of interest since launching FemHealth Founders and announcing it. What's that been like? so far? How's it been accepted locally and, and, and beyond? Yeah. You know, we've been surprised at every corner. You know, I think we're so used to that scarcity mindset. I mm-hmm. think especially as women in entrepreneurship, just feeling like maybe the minority and then you add women's health to it and it's an even smaller, you know, we've been told, oh, such a small market, not huge problems that you're solving, which we totally disagree with. But we have mostly gotten massive support from everyone we've engaged with. So locally, regionally, across the heartland. And just an example, when we opened up our first accelerator, we got over 200 applications. And, you know, we're a no-name organization. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Stitch Crew is, is well known. But we had just people that responded so well to... We want to be a part of this kind of community. And some of these, you know, founders have gone through big accelerators, like big, big name accelerators, and they're still looking for that community. So I will say everyone has responded and reacted so positively and across the world. I mean, we have applications from Israel and the UK and, you know, 
Silicon Valley and New York and Boston. So if that tells you anything about the need, it's there. Yeah, isn't that neat? Uh, What I heard you talk about was scarcity mindset in a place, though, where there's an abundance mindset. So I, I think that's probably helpful. And gosh, this myth that it's a small market drives me nuts. <laughs> Half of the people in the world are women. Yeah. I think I would like to have that market. <laughs> right. And just because you view it as a small market today, you know, on paper, 80% of consumers are women. That's right. You know, like you said, half of the world's population are women. And then add in that this is projected to be a trillion dollar market by 2027. I wouldn't call that small. And it's expansive beyond just what you may, you know, I think a lot of people may think of as women's health, which would just be like reproductive health. It's mm-hmm. so much bigger than that. It's, you know, heart health, it's it's menopause. It's So it's hormonal conditions to fertility, to pregnancy, to, you know, adolescence and the things that you go through in adolescence and autoimmune disease and beyond cancers, you know, things like that. So oh, just the economic impact from solving these is, is well, be, it's it, maybe it's quadrillions. Yeah. I don't know, but yes. it's, it's a lot. <laughs> so let's talk about the accelerator. This first cohort's wrapping up soon. In fact, when we drop this episode, folks be watching out, we'll drop this episode on a Monday and then we'll drop a bonus episode on that Friday. And that bonus episode will be with the members of the cohort talking about themselves and their companies. And so you'll get to hear about all of that. What's it been like? running your first accelerator. <laughs> it's, it's been great. I will say, you know, having Stitch Crew as a partner where they, this isn't their first rodeo. Mm-hmm. They know what they're they're doing and getting to just experience, you know, what is it like to be a founder in the women's health space in an environment where you're heard, you're seen, you're valued for what you're working on and you're supported. And so, you know, we we give a $10,000 non-dilutive stipend or grant award. <laughs> There's really no strings attached to it, but please spend it on your business. It's amazing. To each founder. The founders in this cohort are addressing fundamental women's health issues across gynecology, postpartum, you know, pregnancy to postpartum, trauma-informed care, pelvic floor dysfunction, mm-hmm and fertility. So we have like, you know, kind of across the whole spectrum, we have women addressing issues and with phenomenal backgrounds. I mean, these women are, you know, some of them are clinicians that decided to go found their own business. One of them comes from Boston Consulting Group. You know, another one has a long career just in this kind of trauma-informed care space and has her own personal experience with trauma. And so We just have this beautiful cohort of not only, you know, impactful women, but brilliant, intelligent, motivated uh, people who are solving women's health issues. And so what we have loved the most about this and maybe been surprised the most, Mm -hmm. like at first, honestly, I was a little bit skeptical how this whole peer-to-peer mentorship would go, but it's been the very thing that the founders have benefited from the most is hearing from their peers, getting resources, getting guidance, getting feedback from their peers on how the accelerator, I'm sorry, how they could 
you know, improve their whatever piece of their business that they have, you know, brought to the table um, in front of the other founders. So there's a lot of vulnerability and transparency too. That is one of the thing I love about accelerators done right. Right. Is that that's where most of the learning happens. And, you know, you're in it together. The the, the founders are are in it together and they're going to be there to lift each other up done right. And it's it is a um, an amazing atmosphere when accelerators get that right. What sort of, so, so you brought to the table then all these folks who have the knowledge and the experience and, and expertise in their fields and they're solving problems that they, they know are real problems. What sort of support and programming then do you put around them so that they learn how to start and build and scale a business? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, we tried with this first cohort, we we started with founders that had already launched, at least soft launched their Smart. companies. So um, we'd love to eventually take on, you know, that idea stage, earlier stage companies. But we thought it was important to kind of test this model with this group because they had already started. So they have some, they have the basic infrastructure set up. But what's interesting is kind of interviewing them on the front end and understanding where their weaknesses are and where their weak areas infrastructurally are Mm -hmm. um, allowed us to plug in resources. And so Stitch Crew has this, you know, just amazing like swath of of just tech resources, um, mentors in their uh, back pocket to, to really deploy specifically based on the needs that the founders brought up. So I will say we've had a lot of focus, you know, on capacity, on legal support. So we have some incredible mentors. And I will say many of the mentors are from Northwest Arkansas. So we have an incredible base here, an incredible passion around helping these women. But giving legal, I mean, just something as basic as two hours. I've had Mm -hmm. a couple of these attorneys spend two hours, you know, totally free with, with these women and focused on very specific things in their business that needed legal attention that would have otherwise cost them $600, $700. So that was a really cool piece is just the legal side capacity fundraising and is always a highlight, especially Mm -hmm. for women. This has been a big topic is just you know, whether that's VC or other types of financing for the business, we have provided a number of connections to venture capitalists, you know, other loans, grant programs, resources. So we make those direct connections for the founders so that they can, you know, not only just have someone to talk to or pitch to, but actually connecting them to like-minded investors like-minded, you know, financial providers who want to support women and their unique needs. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. Right. Talk about then the most challenging part generally for the uh, the founders. What's been the most challenging part of the accelerator and also for your team or the most, you talked about surprising, so most challenging or most interesting part. Yeah, so I would say one of the challenges is just there's not enough time, you know, we, (laughs) and and the hope is that we would be able to provide support to these founders over their entire lifetime of their Mm -hmm. business. That's, we're building relationships here, not just companies. And so I, I think one of the challenging things is just having enough time. One of the founders brought that up yesterday. You know, it was like, how do I manage all of these different 
events and deliverables and building a product or a platform and, you know, managing staff and all the things that come with being a founder. And, and likewise for us as founders running and building FemHealth founders, we deal with the same things. Like, where is that trade-off? When do you say, I, I don't have time for this? And that may be, I don't have time for an accelerator or I don't have time to do you know, the homework involved in the accelerator, which by the way, we don't give homework just because, you know, it's just, it's just another thing sure. that founders have to do. And we really want them focusing on their companies. So the homework is, you know, if it's, okay, you need to, you need to understand what a PNL is and you need to really build that out and here, let's, let, let us help you do that, you know, but, or build out your pitch deck or improve, you know, an executive summary, whatever it is, we get really tactical there. But I would just say that eight weeks has just flown by. So time is really <laughs> one of the biggest challenges. But the interest, the most interesting thing I would say has been, I go back to the peer-to-peer. I, I'm really, I had no idea how much power that could have. And just not only improving, I guess, the, the program itself and making the experience better, but just elevating and motivating the founders. Like when you feel that energy, especially around something like women's health, like, oh, she's building a business and she's, she's doing this and she's pulling it off and she's a mom too. Like, you know, not everybody's mom in the cohort, but it's doable, you know? So. Excellent. Well, you're not asking for advice from me today, but I'll give you some because I've run accelerators. I've helped run accelerators. And I'll say that when the official eight weeks is over, the next big challenge that happens is all that intensity that's happening over the period of eight weeks. Sometimes founders feel like there's nobody there to support them when it's over. And so now your challenge will be to keep that conversation going. Like you said, you're building relationships. And so really carrying those relationships forward and looking for the support that they need going forward and helping continue to connect them, continue to connect them to more mentors and more folks who can uh, be helpful to them. But uh, that's great advice. Love hearing uh, about all this. You know, since you're supporting women founders, we definitely need to talk about issues that especially affect women. One of them I'll call the elephant in the room (laughs) or in the studio is because you've mentioned it is funding. Women founders get an astonishingly small amount of funding. In fact, the, the, um, the high point has been 2% in a given year of all venture. And that's for venture capital funding, but right. it's astonishing low for yeah. all types of, of funding. And this is despite that the data proves that women-led companies are more profitable, they're more sustainable. They have a better ROI on the, in, the, in the realm of multiples right. better than men. And so I'm just wondering at what point (laughs) do investors wake up and realize that they can apply their greed here too? Right. I'm wondering the same thing. (laughs) It makes some money. It it seems uh, pretty silly. Why is this happening? And what can we do about it? Oh, it's a great question. I think there is a multifaceted, multi-layered thing going on here. And it runs across you know, bias, systemic bias that's existed, you know, and, and still persists today. It's both men and women. We don't necessarily trust women with money, with finances. And I think that's one of the root causes. You know, if you think about 
how we've traditionally viewed women. And if you look at some of the numbers around women managing wealth, um, even just family wealth, you know, there's just, you don't see a big representation of women doing that or in finance or investing roles. And you don't see very many women who have had the opportunity to grow and scale these big companies mm-hmm. and then add in the underrepresentation of women in the STEM, you know, technology space. You start to construct a worldview and, and sort of a, a bias against women in these types of CEO, you know, founder roles, especially I think in technology, healthcare, you know, these spaces that we've traditionally viewed men as solving those problems and being in those spaces. And then you also have, you know, a, a historical issue of women doing the lion's share of unpaid labor. And so often we view women in a way that's, okay, you're a mom and you have children. How are you going to also operate a business? Well, okay, you're, you know, if you're married and you have a husband or a partner, well, aren't they also, you know, they also have children. That's right. (laughs) But we've just viewed that differently because we think automatically oftentimes that the, the, the man and the relationship is going to be the breadwinner. And so we have to shift that thinking. And especially I think from an investor standpoint, it's just very, the expectations are different. And so what it creates sometimes is this perception that while women now are held to a higher standard. So I want to make sure that everything that she tells me in a pitch is perfect. And so women often end up being on defense instead Mm -hmm. of offense. I think, you know, we've had a number of people mention this over the past few weeks, just in the entrepreneurship space. And it really stood out to me because I often have felt that too, that I'm not necessarily believed or trusted. And maybe I don't have the the technical or the finance background. And so I'm viewed differently in terms of like, I'm going to give you money to launch and scale this business. So I think what we can do, so those are some negative, you know, things that are getting in our way. We can be aware, be aware Mm -hmm. of your own biases, unpack that, like sit down with, you know, another woman and understand like, Hey, where am I off base? Look, start trying to assess companies more from a data focused perspective than, and maybe you have to institute certain things like a blind review of pitches instead of you know, actually knowing the gender of the person presenting or pitching that company. And then I would say, ultimately, just start trusting women. Like if, you know, if your background is, you know, you have a ton of experience and you have earned the right to be in the room and to grow and scale a business, like, you know, don't hold that woman to a different set of standards. And then I guess the work we have to do to increase the number of women that are actually growing and scaling companies or pitching to VCs, we have a lot of work to do there because it's not just on the investors and it's not just people having biases and women aren't Mm -hmm. getting the capital. There's another side to the story. Women aren't asking for a lot of this capital. So we've got to figure out what to do in between there. Yeah. I want to go back to this thing about bias and holding women to a higher standard. And in fact, it's not even, it's not, anecdotal. It's not people kind of feel that way. The data proves it. Uh, This has actually been studied. It turns out that on average, 
And this is whether the person asking the question is male or female. But on average, women entrepreneurs are asked more risk-based questions than men. And men entrepreneurs are asked more questions that are really encouraging questions to, (laughs) that doesn't make (laughs) sense to me. So we do need to be aware. We need to be aware of how we're asking questions. And we really need to have sort of a, um, I'll call it a format for asking questions so that we are making certain not to do that. It is very discouraging. It is. And you know what, James, that starts in childhood. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can recall memories of, you know, the, the boys in the room being kind of applauded for thinking outside the box or going around the rules and not staying in the lines. And women are more applauded and rewarded Hmm. for perfection, for completion of an assignment or organization. And that is something we, we have to shift a lot earlier in our thinking because one, not every woman fits in that box, but Two, our educators, I think, need to, and our our parents need to do a better job of not putting those types of, you know, we're encouraging, you know, boys to be more risk takers and women to actually kind of shy away from risk. Yeah, we we definitely, we need to encourage our boys and our girls. Yeah, yes. To be risk takers. And uh, yeah. I don't understand why we don't, (laughs) but that's just me. Uh, I do have some encouraging news. I don't think I, I guess since I've seen her say it at a couple of events in the last two days, but I don't know that there's been any press about it yet. So I won't say who, I won't say who the company is, but there is a local woman-led company that just closed their Series A for $12.6 million. What? This is so exciting. And that I funding don't know about comes this. from all over the place. Wow. And from locally and across the country and the places Amazing. that you would expect money would be coming from too. So it's very exciting. Incredible. Well, there are plenty of amazing women out there who are also <laughs> yes. wives and mothers and entrepreneurs. And I think you kind of spoke to this answer a, a little bit when you yeah. you said that that we should not think of men as being the breadwinners and it just sounds like more free work by women uh, <laughs> when we do that. But how in the world do you successfully, all three of you as mm-hmm. co-founders are wives and mothers and entrepreneurs and you have your businesses and you have the Fem Health Founders organization. How do you successfully navigate all of this in your life? You know, I don't know that it's always successfully. <laughs> we do, you okay. know, thank thank God for makeup. Like, you know, someone said that to me the other day. They're like, we don't look like you are not sleeping or you're working, you know, until midnight every night. And the truth is I do, you know, I often have to, you know, put my baby down to sleep and then crank up, you know, another series, you know, few hours of work and forego the Netflix that I'd love to be watching in order to do that. And there are a lot of hobbies I'd love to be, you know, pursuing But I just feel like this work and we, you know, Elizabeth, April, and I have all felt like this work is just work that has to be done and who's going to do it because no one's, you know, there are other people working towards this, but no one's really doing this thing and it has to be done. And so 
there is some strategy that's going into this. We can't continue to, you know, run our businesses and grow them and also grow this organization. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be looking for talent in the next few months to help us run the organization. But, you know, I think we just try to view it from what can we do today? And it may seem like a lot to other people, but we enjoy it. And I do think a lot of women have that social impact bone in their body. They just want to build something with impact and purpose. And I'm not saying there are plenty of men who want to do that too, but women seem to be very driven by that generally. And so it doesn't feel like work, I guess. Yeah. Well, let's switch it up a little bit. We've <laughs> uh, we talked about how good Northwest Arkansas has been to FemHealth founders. I'd love to hear a little bit more about you in terms of where you're from, places you've lived. I looked at your Facebook. <laughs> I looked at the places you've lived. I think they're very interesting. I'd love to know a little bit more about that and how in the world you ended up in uh, Northwest Arkansas. And I think you may have talked about that a little bit yeah. earlier. But. Yeah, sure. Well, it's, it, you know, sometimes I forget some of the places that mm. I've gotten to live just because now my life feels sort of boring in the sense that I live in Northwest Arkansas and things aren't as crazy as they were in my 20s. But I love it here. There's so much adventure. I, like I said, I'm from Memphis, ended up, you know, going to college in the middle Tennessee area, UT mm -hmm. Chattanooga. And then after college, you know, it was, I'm, I'm a millennial and I graduated in 2009, which is, was a wonderful time to be entering uh -huh. the job market. Just kidding. So after, you know, amidst the financial collapse, I just was trying to get whatever work I could. And so I spent some time in Nashville and I met my husband at that time in that place. And we ended up, you know, kind of embarking on a crazy journey <laughs> overseas. We worked in international development uh, for a company called Salt. And okay. we were doing like sustainable agriculture. Basically, we were building soybean mills in places like Afghanistan, northern Afghanistan, and northern Iraq to really just improve food security in those places. And so we worked with a number of partners throughout that. I got to work at a women's center doing kind of women's empowerment work. But yeah, Afghanistan in 2010 and 11, Iraq in 2011, 12. And then we kind of decided we're going to come back home. And we were a little bit burned out, I'll admit. And we ended up uh, looking at PhD programs for my husband. And University of Arkansas had this amazing scholarship program called the DDF, a Distinguished Doctoral Fellow which is, I believe, supported by the Walton family. And it literally paid for us to go to school, which was amazing. So had, you know, like a small salary. So it was a no-brainer and we love the mountains and outdoors. So we came here and in between being here and kind of pursuing our careers, we moved to India for a year. So have lived in India as well. And that was an incredible experience too, but we're here now. So that is an extraordinary journey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've lived a life of making a difference. Yeah. That's I pretty cool. Like to say that. Well, you're continuing to do it. So what I think you just hinted at it, but what makes this the ideal place to live for you and your family? And I'll, I'll add to that. Why should others be thinking about Benteville and Northwest Arkansas for themselves and for their companies? Yeah. I mean, I couldn't construct 
a more perfect place in my mind, except maybe if there was a beach, (laughs) the ocean (laughs) would be great if we just threw it in here. But I will tell you that this place with the outdoors, which is like our number one thing, we love being outside and it's just beautiful here. There's so much, you know, infrastructure, even just in the city with the trails and ability to jump out and go on a run, a long run and, you know, take uh, our son to the park and just gorgeous. Everything is just gorgeous. And I, that's inspiring to me and to my husband. So we're all about just natural wonders. So if you love that, like this is the place to be, but it's an inspiring place because of this entrepreneurial ecosystem. I never experienced anything like this in my life. And I'm not sure there is another place like this in terms of community of people who will rally around you. I have had CEOs of big companies here basically say, let me help you. Let me help you scale your company that, you know, really don't have time for me, but they make time. I've had people, you know, like you and others um, in this community that have just supported over and over the work that we're doing with Fem Health Founders, highlighting, you know, me as an individual, as an entrepreneur, the other women who are with Fem Health Founders. And so I just don't think you can find that kind of hospitality and goodwill and community anywhere else. Yeah, I was just having this conversation the other day, actually at uh, Leadership Benton County, I Mm -hmm. spoke to the current cohort. And this conversation came up about, is there another place really like this? (laughs) And we had a hard time putting our finger on uh, anywhere else that, you know, you have this unique geography here. You have everything outdoors except snow and ocean. You get a few inches of snow a year and that's it. (laughs) But you have this combination of these large businesses and the businesses supporting them and then unbelievable small business and super robust entrepreneurial ecosystem, a density of entrepreneurial support organizations, unlike I've seen anywhere. And then you have a region and a city in particular here in Bentonville where 64% of the people who live here weren't born here. They came here to build something, to do something. And that's happening all across this region. And it's created something really uh, unique. And then you add to it government and families and corporations and and folks just all moving together, not necessarily scripted, but moving together in the same direction. And it's really fascinating to watch it all play out. It is. Let's narrow our talk a little bit uh, more. In fact, speaking of accelerators and, mm-hmm. and startups, after all, this is the Bentonville Beacon podcast, so <laughs> we should probably talk about Bentonville a little. Yeah. Many of the major accelerators in our region, and by my count, we're somewhere around 10 or 11 in a place in a region of a little over 500,000 people, about 550,000 people. And most of those are centered here in uh, in Bentonville, a town of 60,000 people, and it's mind-boggling to me. And most of them are in Bentonville's Art Market District or downtown at The Ledger, the world's first bikeable building. (laughs) Check it out. Shameless plug, there's an episode on it. Super cool building. Yeah, so they're all in close proximity, right? To the chamber, to Bentonville Economic Development, more importantly, to other startups, to innovation assets, to executive training from the University of Arkansas, from many offerings from the U of A, to a multitude of investors and more. And, you know, what is it that you would say about Bentonville that's attracting this density 
of entrepreneur support organizations and the startups that go with them? I think there's an energy here that I I don't I haven't seen in other places, and so it's sort of this gravitational pull. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd say I live in Fayetteville, so I'm going to just out myself. I live in Fayetteville, and uh, you know, we come up here now all the time, especially with Fem Health Founders stuff. I mean, we're this is where we are, sure. um, and so. I think, you know, you walk around and you sort of see like, you know, all these companies and all these people biking around and this sort of entrepreneurial vibe. Um, And then you have the cultural, you know, pieces like Crystal Bridges that I think really, again, add to that kind of gravitational pull. It's where I want to take, you know, my friends and family when they come to visit because I want them to see like this is an incredible thing. Like we have all of these amazing cultural experiences here too. And so I think entrepreneurship and the support you can provide, it's, it's about the landscape. It's about, you know, the aesthetic, it's about the food and the energy. And so all of those things are in Bentonville and you're seeing that just grow tremendously. I mean, I don't know, eight years ago, I don't know that I would have just come up to Bentonville, you know, besides to go to Crystal Bridges and that is just completely transformed. Well put. <laughs> <laughs> Did I sell it? <laughs> Did you sell it? Now you, uh, I'm finding all the same to be true. I've been here a couple of years and I'm just, even in a couple of years, I feel like this place has recreated itself, so to speak, if that's the right word to use. And, and it feels like it's going to do that again. Right. And, you know, what's happened in the last five or 10 years, as they say, you ain't seen nothing yet. Right. <laughs> uh, from from what I'm seeing, it's, it's, it's it boggles the mind. It's true. Um, okay. We're going to start wrapping up. But first, I want you to, uh, will you share a story? We'll call this a hashtag <laughs> because Bentonville story. This is something that, you know, perhaps could only happen here or describes the essence of this place? Hmm. So that's a really good question. I am going to just have to talk about FemHealth Founders and how, you know, we we recently had an incredible summit, a Women's Health Innovation Summit here in Northwest Arkansas with Blue Cross Blue mm-hmm. Shield. And, you know, we weren't sure what this event was going to be like because you know, we're newly working with Blue Cross and trying to, you know, as you said, figure out how we're going to do all of this amidst running an accelerator, running our own businesses. And then Blue Cross, you know, they don't have tons of spare time on their hands either. But this event, the people in the room who, the people who showed up and it was an incredible event. I mean, we had the CIO of Kind Body do the keynote. We had a panel of women, um, founders, investors, ecosystem support, and uh, entrepreneurial support organizations, and Jeanette from the Northwest Arkansas Council. And it was just, everybody said at the end of it, they were sort of transfixed by the experience. And they were like, how did you, how'd you pull this off? You know, how'd you pull this off? And we're like, it's, it's, it's the place that we're in, you know, it's that, People don't have the same egos that you see maybe in other places or the same boundaries um, or the separation between corporate and entrepreneurship um, and the community. There were people uh, represented from all those different spaces across healthcare, 
economic development, entrepreneurship, you know, other nonprofits that are doing great work in the women's health or healthcare space. And everybody was like, oh, it was just such an incredible event where I got to network and get to meet people that I'd never met before. But I just saved that because that event was a testament to we can bring people from all over the world. I mean, the CIO mm-hmm. of Kind Body came from New York City. Like she lives in Manhattan, you know. I don't know if she wants me to tell everybody that, but she, you know, she came here and she saw value in speaking to these people on maternal health issues. And so I'll just say that that event was really a a prime example of why this place is so unique and special. Yeah, I mean, it- it, it is. And you also have, are dealing with a, I'll call it a unique and special insurance company there too. Right. You can't say that very often about payers in the healthcare industry. <laughs> uh, but Arkansas Blue Cross Blue Shield is very innovative and is really going to be making some waves here in the next few years, especially alongside Alice Walton and the medical right. school and, and the healthcare system that's uh, being built yeah. and, and as such. It's I'm blown away by what they're doing and really impressed, of course, by Martine Pollard, who I imagine just yeah, she's our champion. immediately <laughs> said yes without hearing the rest of what you were uh, asking. So yeah. and she's also on our, our board right. of the chamber. She Well, she chairs the board of the chamber. That's right. Yeah. Perfect so, person to be doing this work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. Just a few questions left. We'll start with this one, sort of a random. Mm-hmm. What's the stupidest business mistake that you've ever made? that you don't regret? Oh, that's a great question. I started a company called Polished Papers. This was my first ever company that I started and it did really well. So I was editing uh, academic manuscripts for professors, you know, researchers all over the world. But what I didn't realize is (laughs) that I had to do, so, you know, as the the person doing all of the editing, I took on any client that I could could get. And that was just, you know, me being a novice. Like, yes, I will take your paper that isn't even written in English and I will try to write it in English. And so that proved to be a very difficult business to scale because I could never hire somebody to do the same level of editing that I had gotten myself into. Mm-hmm. But I would say, I don't know if you call it stupid, but it was just, I didn't understand what I was doing and getting into. Now, I had good revenue. I mean, I was making income, but I was working constantly because I was editing like, you know, 30, 40 page manuscripts. And oftentimes they weren't, you know, they're really the grammar and the the language was totally incorrect. <laughs> so I will probably make much bigger business mistakes over the next few years. You can ask me later. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we've all made them. I can tell you a few of mine. Some are still painful to this day. Um, What advice would you give to other women who are considering starting a business? Mm, Great question. The most important piece of advice that I've been given, and I don't always take this advice, but don't second guess yourself. And I think, and I say that to women because women often do this. You know, we don't feel capable enough. We don't feel ready enough, but just go for it because I guarantee you, you most likely are ready to either pitch your business or, you know, bring on a customer or build that product. 
trust those instincts, trust yourself. And if you can do that, the other stuff you can learn and figure out and you can hire people and you can contract people to do the stuff that you may don't, you know, you don't know what, what to do, or maybe you're not trained to do it. But I think you just have to trust yourself and you have to go for it. Otherwise you'll, you'll never do it. That is sage advice. (laughs) Two questions left. Yes. The first one, if somebody wants to learn more about Fem Health Founders or reach any of you, how do they do that? It's femhealthfounders.com. You can just go to the website. There's, uh, you can contact us there or you can reach out via LinkedIn. All of us are on, all of us are logged into the page uh, and we monitor the message messages there. We're also on Instagram. Again, it's femhealthfounders. That's the handle for LinkedIn and Instagram. And uh, we'd love to chat with you. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Last question. Yes. What's something I should have asked you that I did not ask? Wow. I feel like you've asked me a lot of really good things. Um, awesome. So I, I don't have anything. So I think we can probably say this was a pretty rich conversation. <laughs> Wonderful. I yeah. love it. So, well, Natalie, thank you so much for spending time with me, with the Bentonville Beacon audience. I think you already know that I'm a, a, a raving fan yes. uh, for you and Elizabeth and April. I love the work that you are doing and that you are going to, you, you three are going to change some lives. Oh, thank you. Not just here, but well beyond this place and perhaps across the world. Oh, thank you, James. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Hey, thanks to our Bentonville Beacon audience. Uh, Without you, the show wouldn't be possible. So if you like what you heard today, please share this episode with your friends and colleagues and uh, share it on social media or however you may do that. And keep coming back to hear more about Bentonville's leaders and their businesses that are sparking the rise of this place in Bentonville, Northwest Arkansas, where you get more of what you want and less of what you don't. You can check out all of our episodes at BentonvilleBeacon.com or on your favorite podcast player. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Bentonville Beacon podcast. We hope to see you next week.